Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Okay, Genesis 18. We're going to look at part two of Genesis 18. This was a message that we did last Wednesday night. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? We looked at the story of the Lord coming and reiterating His promise to Abraham and Sarah. An incredible promise. And we're going to pick up part two of that. Would you pray with me, Father? Thank you so much again for this beautiful place that you've blessed us with, a great building, a wonderful church congregation, so many servants of the Most High God that are here serving you in different capacities, ones that are serving right now, taking care of kids and teaching teenagers and uh, pouring into the lives of uh, people at every level. Thank you for the ushers. Thank you for the guys that are uh, and gals that are back in the sound booth and help out with that. And just all the people that really make this church what it is, Lord. It's a great blessing to be part of what you're doing. We're excited about the doors that you are opening. And we just want to, again, just give you the glory and pray tonight that as we study your word, um, you would equip us further to be your servants, to trust in you, to know you better, to be indeed a friend of God, as Abraham was called in the Bible, to know you that well, Lord, that we have an intimate relationship with you. And, and as we look at the subject of judgment tonight, we look at Abraham becoming an intercessor for Sodom and Gomorrah and those cities, and we, we see an incredible picture of what's ahead and who you are and the reality that you are a holy God. You're a loving and merciful God, but you're also holy and you're a God that does pour out judgment on sin. And that's not easy to take, but it's true. And so, Lord, just help us to hear what you have to say to us tonight, to find hope, refuge, encouragement, faith, um, just all that we need tonight. So we just pray that you'd speak now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Genesis 18, look at verse 1 with me just to backtrack for a second. It says, now the Lord, Genesis 18, 1, that's the name of God, Yahweh, the existing one, appeared to him, that's Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the door, the tent door in the heat of the day. And so Abraham lifted up his eyes, look at verse 2, when he lifted up his eyes, he looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed, that's the Hebrew word shakah, the usual Hebrew word for worship, and he bowed himself to the earth and said, my Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. And so uh, Abraham scurried around. You remember as we see the story unfold, he made preparations. He told everybody, get stuff ready. He went to his wife. He went to his servants. He hurried around. And the, the uh, passers-by, the, the travelers, two angels and the Lord, as we find out in the account, uh, spent some time dining with Abraham in the tent of Abraham. If you ever get a chance to go to Israel, one of the features of that particular trip, at least with the one that we went on, is you go into the tent of Abraham and you share in a meal. And it has uh, several courses. You sit on the floor in an actual physical tent. They give you pillows. And uh, you get several courses of a meal. Slowly, 
you fellowship with one another, and you meet this guy and his wife. They kind of play the role of Abraham and Sarah. It's a pretty cool uh, thing. And we hung out there in that tent for a while and enjoyed a meal. And that's something that the Lord uh, did for Abraham. He met Abraham in that beautiful uh, time of intimate fellowship. And God reiterated his promise. And Sarah, remember, was behind the tent, and she she giggled at the promise. She laughed at it. Look at verse 14. And the Lord said, Is anything too difficult for the Lord? 18:14. At the appointed time, I will return to you. At this time next year, God says, And Sarah shall have a son. Now that's the promise that the Lord gave. He confronted Sarah about her laughter. And she, you know, she did laugh. And the Lord knew what was going on there. And then the three men arose. Look at verse 16. This is where we pick up the text now for tonight. Then the men, they're described as men here, rose up from there. So we we take it that they appeared in human form and looked down. So now there's a transition from a leisurely meal where God reiterates the promise of a coming son. His name will be Isaac or Isaac. His name literally means laughter. He will bring joy. He will bring unexpected blessing. And then the men rose up from there and looked down. They looked south toward Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to send them off. So the meal has concluded now. They've, they've eaten together. The promise has been reiterated. And Abraham is literally walking with the Lord, much like Enoch did in chapter 5. But this is literal. This is what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to walk with the Lord. We're supposed to be in an intimate relationship with him. And this is beautifully pictured as Abraham walks with the three. The traditional site from which this occurred is a mountaintop village called Beni Naim, three miles east of Hebron where the Dead Sea and its surrounding plains are visible through gaps in the hills. So the traditional site where this meeting took place and then they looked down is this particular village. You could look it up today. We don't know for sure, but we think it's likely that it's at least close to the site. And you look through the hills and you can see the plain and you can see the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so here's what happens now. It says, The Lord said, 17, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Now what we know from the the, um, account here is that they're walking together we would imagine they're in fairly close proximity. And the Lord looks to the other two. We find out in Genesis 19 that they are angels. And he says, shall I share with Abraham what I am about to do? Or shall I hide it from Abraham what I'm about to do? Now, God knew that he was going to share with Abraham. And in fact, I would tell you from the account and my understanding of what's going on here, Abraham is probably overhearing what God says or what the Lord says. He's, he's in close proximity. And so he says, shall I hide it from him? No, God is not going to hide it from him. He's going to share with Abraham what he's going to do. And what God is going to do is bring judgment on, in this area. The Lord is talking. Look at verse 17. The Lord said, it's the Lord talking. And the Lord has not hidden the fact that there is a coming judgment. The scriptures say this. You might want to write down Romans 1.18 verses 18 through 20, where it talks about that the wrath of God is revealed. It's, it's coming. Judgment is coming. In fact, the Bible, both, both Old and New Testament, is filled with passages that talk about the day of the Lord. 
a day of darkness, a day of gloom, not a day of light, a day when the Lord will have uh, His judgment. He will pour His judgment on an unbelieving world. In fact, the day of the Lord is captured in totality in the book of Revelation. So if you read the book of Revelation, you will see the day of the Lord. I've told you in the past, I believe the seventh seal is the day of the Lord. The seventh seal is actually talked about in chapter 6, and then it's broken in Revelation 8.1, and then you have all these cataclysmic judgments. You have bowl judgments. You have trumpet judgments that occur. And so the wrath of God coming. That's what's ahead for the unbelieving world is a day of wrath. God has fixed a day when He will judge the world in righteousness. Acts 17. He's given evidence of this by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. In fact, the Bible teaches that the one who is the judge is Jesus. Jesus is the judge. And so knowing Him is the key. You've got to know the Lord. And Abraham, obviously walking with the Lord here, is a beautiful depiction of a believer walking in the footsteps of faith. But some hard news is coming. And it's news of judgment. If you hold your place in Genesis and turn to 2 Peter, Peter's addressing false teachers, so you've got to go all the way back towards the uh, back of the New Testament, 2 Peter 2. And he's giving um, examples of how God judged in the past. 2 Peter 2. Let's pick it up at verse 6. Oh, we'll go back. Let's go back to verse 5. It says, 2 Peter 2.5, God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved, 2 Peter 2.5, Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, eight people got on the ark when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Not only is judgment coming in the future, but judgment has occurred in the past. I think there's over 300 flood legends in different cultures of the world. Little different variation, but all these cultures have ancient, ancient documentations of a flood. Some say a localized flood, others say a worldwide flood, or just a few people were saved through it. Now, we don't bank our faith on legend. We know the Bible tells us that there was a worldwide flood. But these other legends are interesting. There's about 300 of them in all these different cultures, all testifying to a flood a flood of judgment that came upon the world. The Bible says that a flood did come and God saved eight persons. If you look at verse 6, 2 Peter 2, and if He condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes. If you look at pictures, you might want to Google. I'll show you a few at the end of this message. Google this area and you will find that they've discovered uh, just destruction and things that are even under the Dead Sea or the Sea of Salt and this, this area that is ravaged. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them, he thought here, an example to those who would live ungodly thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, we'll see him in a moment, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. For by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, that is Lot, even though he was in some compromise, he was still righteous. While living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day with their lawless deeds. 
Now Lot compromised, and Lot is sitting at the gate in Sodom, which implies that he was a judge there, and yet he stayed. And the Bible tells us that his soul, his righteous soul, was tormented day after day as he looked around the city. He was in torment. He was vexed by what occurred in this place. And yet he stayed. And we know that even though the Bible does say that uh, Lot was a righteous man and he was tormented, he sacrificed his family. In fact, his wife had imbibed the culture. She could not just keep going. She looked back and we know the story of what happened to her. And at at, uh, the end of this message, I'll I'll show you something in this area that they call Lot's wife that may be her. We'll, we'll, We'll leave that up to you. But anyway, it says, Then the Lord, verse 9, knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. That includes you and me. And to keep the unrighteous under punishment. What's your Bible say? For the day of judgment. These judgments that happen in the past become a testimony to the world. Go back to Genesis. Here's my point. This has happened before. People, unbelievers, atheists, perhaps those who are maybe uh, against uh, Christianity or the teachings of the Bible mock this idea. And I will tell you, so did the people in these cities. They didn't think it was coming. They didn't think it was going to happen. In fact, the implications of the Bible's narrative and extra-biblical writings when it comes to Noah is that people were mocking Noah as he built the ark and preached to them day after day. And, and they, they didn't repent, and then the flood came, Jesus' words, and what? Took them all away. It will be just the same way when the Son of Man comes. And Jesus Christ uses the stories of Noah and Lot as examples of how it will be just before the return of Jesus Christ. So these are historical facts. Jesus believed they occurred, and Jesus believes it, so do I. And in fact, I will tell you this, and this may not be something that you've thought about in the past, but it's the Lord that shows up in Genesis 18 And uh, the Lord's going to destroy the city in Genesis 19. And we believe that the Lord that appears in Genesis 18 is in all likelihood a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the one that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and those cities around it, guess who that was? That was Jesus. You could say, yeah, the triune God, but but we believe that the Lord was there in human form. And I showed you John 1.18 that when God appeared in these Christophanies or Theophanies, if you will, it seems to be the second person of the Trinity that's appearing. John 1.18. You can check that again. You don't have to live and die with that. But here's the point. Jesus is God. And God's the one that destroyed this area. And I bring that up because people often say, well, Jesus never mentioned these types of things. He never came out and spoke against these kinds of sins that are debated in our culture. Well, I think he made a pretty emphatic statement in this region. Would you not agree? I mean, that may not be easy to hear, but I think the statement is clear. I think the ruins testify to God's opinion. I will tell you this, that uh, back in Genesis, if you turn back there, that 
the, this was not the only sin in Sodom. We're gonna, I'm going to show you some other scriptures that tell us that there were other things going on. It was not just base immorality that was happening in Sodom, but of course that was one of the main issues. Now go back to Genesis 18, and let's pick the account up at verse 18. He says, Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, this is God's promise to him, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed, for I have chosen... I have known him, if you have a new King James, it's the word yada, verse 19, Genesis 18, in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. And one thing to keep in mind is that even this judgment will be something that's ingrained in the memory of Abraham forever. And Abraham will tell his children that God is holy. And this, this place, this region which was more than one city that was destroyed, will be a testimony that Abraham will tell the story of what God did, God's faithfulness, God's promise, the son of promise, laughter and joy, his visitations, his altars. But he will also say there's another side, you guys. When people don't repent, Lot went down there and it got ugly. And I'll tell you what, it ended badly. This is part of what we do when we give testimony to the God of the Bible. We must tell the whole story of who He is. He says, I've chosen Him. I've known Him. I want Him to tell His children, to command His children and His household to keep the way of the Lord. Fathers, mothers, this is our command. It says, Fathers, bring up your children in the fear and what? Admonition of the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to teach our children about God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Do you believe that? As for me and my house, anybody got the bracelet on tonight, guys? We will serve the Lord. That's a decision that we make to teach our family about God. How so? By doing righteousness, middle of 19, and justice. God is a God of righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. As the Lord shared with the angels, it is likely that Abraham heard everything, and that was the intention of the Lord, because Abraham's going to become an intercessor, and Abraham's going to begin to plead with the Lord, and this is, I believe, what the Lord wants to occur. The Lord said, verse 20, the outcry, this describes the cry of the oppressed and the brutalized. Look at verse 20 of or against, if you have the NIV, Sodom and Gomorrah, is indeed great. And notice what the Lord says. And their sin is what? It's exceedingly grave. Now you see the word outcry there? So I want to tell you a little bit about this Hebrew word and share with you some of the insights. This is from R. Kent Hughes. He says, The Hebrew word for outcry is used in Scripture to describe the cries of the oppressed and brutalized. It is used in Scripture to uh, it is used for the cry of the oppressed widow or orphan in Exodus 22, the cry of the oppressed servant in Deuteronomy 24, the cries of the Israelites in Egypt Exodus 2. Jeremiah uses it to refer to a scream of terror by an individual or city when it is attacked Jeremiah 18. Such an outcry is the miserable wail of the oppressed and brutalized. Nahum Sarna says of the term as it's used here. 
They connote the anguished cry of the oppressed, the agonized plea of the victim for help in the face of some great injustice. In the Bible, these terms are suffused with poignancy and pathos, with moral outrage, soul-stirring passion. The sin of Sodom, then, is heinous moral and social corruption, an arrogant disregard of basic human rights, a cynical insensitivity to the sufferings of others. Close quote. This is the word outcry. Now you might ask the question, who's crying out? Are the angels crying out to God of that, the sin in that place? Are there people who have moved through this city and perhaps left that have been brutalized? Remember when the angels appear in the city and Lot bows before them and asks them to come in, they say they're going to stay in the open square and Lot says don't do that. He knows how bad this city is and he wants to bring the the angels on into the into the covering of his home this place is is uh, has probably left multitudes of victims maybe people who are passing through i mean you would imagine if the men of the city crowded around the house where the angels appeared and lot tried to bring them under the covering of his house i wonder how many times that happened amen I wonder how many times somebody passed through that city and was brutalized by the men of Sodom. Think about it. Maybe that's the outcry that was going up to heaven time and time again. Maybe passers-by were being abused by these people. And the outcry went up to God and it went up to God. And it's a staggering thing. It can be both hopeful and alarming. God knows when people cry out. God knows when there's injustice in the world. He is not blind to it. He knows. And this is a truth that the Bible indicates over and over again. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. I wonder how many cries come to His throne per hour. I wonder how many cries come to His throne per day. You know, you don't see it. I don't see it. We're not able to be in all these places. We're not able to see behind closed doors. We're not able to see the thoughts and intents of the heart, but He does. When you're ignorant to injustice, He is not. Moy is a young man who's had a band for a while and he used to come to our church uh, back in the day and he said he went to this region he went on a mission trip, and he was interacting with these two young boys and he said both of them were blind and here's how they became blind their mother as a punishment to the two boys poured bleach into their eyes and caused them to go blind both of the young men were blind in this poor, uh, terrible region where things were happening. And Moy, you know, he explained, he said, he got such a burden for the area, he began to cry out to God, and Lord, something has to be done. Something has to be done. And the Lord spoke to his heart, and the Lord said something like this to his heart. He said, do you know how long I've been watching this go on? It's good that you have a burden for this place right now, and I'm glad you do, but do you know, do you know how long I've been watching this go on? It's nice that you have a burden now. It's nice that you're up to speed, if you will. It was kind of like 
He took it almost like as a rebuke. Like, yeah, you have a burden now. That's good. But I've been watching this stuff happen. I know what happened to these boys. You see, the outcry uh, regarding Sodom had come up to God. And if you look, it says Sodom and Gomorrah 20. And it says their sin. By the way, just a reminder, there is such a thing as sin. God calls things sin. We may, in our modern preacher preaching, want to remove that from our vernacular, but that is a biblical term. It is what God calls it. He says it's sin. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I have the privilege of sitting here with Pastor Brian Richards. And Pastor Brian, we have an interesting passage here where, you know, God sends the angels into Sodom and Gomorrah and, uh, you know, he, he really is painted here in uh, an interesting way where he says to the angels, shall I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? And then Abraham really starts a, a negotiation with him. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's 50 righteous, will you destroy the city and so forth? Um, how would you characterize this interaction? Is there a word that we can put to it to understand it theologically? Yeah, the term that's often used in this story is God is painted anthropomorphically. And what that means is we're applying human characteristics to God. Now, God isn't human. We're made in his image, but he isn't limited in the same way that we are. And so we have other passages of scripture that clearly talk about God not changing, you know, that he's an unchanging God. And logically speaking, that would be impossible for him to change because he can't grow. He he can't learn anything new. So in his eternal state he can't change but when we read stories like this where he enters into the human realm and it seems like abraham influences his mind or or even tries changing his mind on the judgment of sodom it kind of makes you wonder and so that's where we get that term anthropomorphic do you think that maybe something is going on here much like genesis 3 where when god says adam where are you it's not really a question it's trying to bring something out of Adam. I think in that case, it was trying to bring repentance out of Adam and ownership of his sin. I think in this case, Abraham really becomes like an intercessor for this yeah. area. And he could have looked at the area a lot, you know, went over there and compromised and it was an exceedingly wicked area. Uh, but Abraham still is doing some intercession and probably largely for concern for his nephew Lot. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting, like, you know, when we look at an area of the world that looks dark and we just say, oh, God, just judge it, you know, that's probably a pretty calloused thing to to do. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry, and we have an opportunity to expand our reach. We exist to build up believers and reach out with the gospel to others. And we need you, our listening family, to partner with us in prayer and in giving in order to do that. You can give in a couple different ways. One way is to go online to livingtruthradio.org or you can send in your offering to Living Truth Christian Fellowship 1009 Arsenal Way, Corona, California 92880. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona or to access archived messages, Go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. 
Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.